Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Okay, here we are, folks, and uh, I have the great pleasure of bringing on Another podcaster. Wait a minute. The way I said that makes me sound like I'm calling myself a podcaster. I don't know. You if are I'm... a podcaster. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be that or not. But anyway, uh, I have Jay Bodie, who is the. Uh, um, I don't know who the wing person is on this project, but you're overcome and run. You and your wife, Heather. Yes, sir. Yeah. So that's uh, that's kind of up in the air right now. Heather's really taken over all of the um hosting services uh so it's a long story but anyway she's really running the hosting um i've played a little bit with social media and such uh in the background but um yeah as you as i'm sure you saw like with uh world's toughest this year i was helping out for a couple different podcasts so yeah it was great actually i appreciate that you were there so that you know eyes on the ground for me because uh, i don't i don't usually go to all these events Man, I will tell you, uh, you know, I don't want to get too too far off, but uh, this year's World's Toughest might be like the most amazing event I've ever been to, having been to multiple worlds and and you know me, I'm just around at all the OCRs and such. But uh, this was just such an incredible event to see, you know, Chris and Trevor battling it out, to see Aaron coming in second, uh, you know, beating out Alice and Ty and everything. And I mean, obviously, you know, the Atkins, um, Gawiski, Woodsy, Webster team. Uh, being so far ahead, they basically called it at like 8 a.m. I mean, it was just, it was a great year. I'm actually going to do an interview with uh, Chris on Monday. Yeah, um, please do. I mean, he he did an incredible job out there this year. Well, Chris and I are friends, and I've worked with him on uh, a few different occasions. He he actually came to me for some gate work, and he's been out to see me a few, three, three times, three, four times, I think. And uh, so a good guy, and I was really pleased to see him get the win, and you know, nothing against the other guys that he competed with, but, you know, it's always fun to see someone you know take the win, right? Yeah, and it couldn't happen to a better guy, so. Yeah, he's a good guy. He really is. All right, so um, I asked you on to help me have something to talk about. You know, I'll tell you, can I just share this with you? Absolutely. As you know, I've been doing this a long time. Yes. And I've not been that great at it of recent because – Honestly, I've, I've, I've just about talked to everybody. And, you know, it's been about, I don't know, a little over six years or so that I've been doing podcasts. And I think it's kind of well before it became a thing, you know. I was introduced to it by another podcaster that brought me in as a guest and said, hey, dude, you know, you really got to do this on your own because, hell, you got content. You know, I, I might have to reach around for content. So at the end of the day, I guess where I'm going with this is that uh, in my world, I think that the biggest thing about what I do is I'm out there working with athletes. And the podcast, I guess if you're going to call it something, it'd be like a side job. It's, it's more a conversational, guess what we did, and people have questions. So I just really find that the audience likes when we do Q&A, when 
someone comes on and asks some of the questions that they wish they would asked. And, you know, hopefully I, I have an answer that suits their needs. And so because we know each other and, and you've been out to see me before, you kind of know what I'm about. So I can't think of a better person to do this with. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I appreciate you, uh, you having me on, you know, as you mentioned, uh, and for anybody who's listening, um, you know, you and I worked together a little bit uh, about two and a half years ago or so. And then we've seen each other at tons of races. We've talked multiple times. I've had you on my podcast. So it's been it's been a long relationship between the two of us talking running over the years. So uh, definitely excited now, especially with some of the new uh, ventures I'm diving into to, to get some uh, good wisdom and advice. All right. So you had mentioned earlier before we got on live that you're lending yourself towards ultra distance events. Is that correct? That is. Yeah, I think uh, I've run various many OCRs and uh, I've found that I enjoy, you know, the toughest series and and stuff that's that's really long distance. And I find oftentimes sometimes the obstacles are just getting in the way of what I really want to be doing, which is running. Um, And so I have kind of, you know, taken this little off ramp into just trail ultras uh, as of late. Okay, And what's the furthest distance you've run so far? So I I have my first true ultra like signed up re- designated uh, in January. It's the Escondido or San Diego 50 or something to that extent. It's an Escondido. 50k. Um, 50 miles. Oh wow, cool. And then I have done 40 um, just at like a tough mutter before between running toughest all night and then starting the very first wave at, at of the tough mutter and going uh, ultimately completing 40 miles. Um, so I've, I've done some longer distance stuff, uh, but never, this will be my first like off ramp into the world of ultras. Um, and then I'm hoping maybe this year I can get a hundred in and then, um, I've got, you know, I'm going to stick with the toughest series cause I really do love that series. So I'm going to do all the 12 hour toughests that they have this year. So, all right. All right. I got a question for you. Absolutely. Have you, have you ever run a marathon? Yes, sir. Yeah. I ran the, uh, it was the operation Jack. It's just, a. um, uh, charity 50 or i'm sorry not 50 uh marathon uh but i ran it the day after christmas so it was a uh, it was a rough run how many miles peak miles did you do in a week leading up to that event that event i did not properly train um so i would say the longest run i had before my marathon was maybe 14 miles okay and what was the terrain like that was completely flat it was uh right on the boardwalk in long beach okay all right, so you've just fortified me with the background I think I needed to try to answer some of the questions you're going to have in a minute. So um, I'm going to let you go ahead and lead out with your questions. Excellent, excellent. So I think um, one of the one of the biggest issues that I and I know probably everybody who runs longer distances has is how do you work on recovery when you're increasing your distance? Okay, Um how do you work on recovery? Um, yeah. Can you build on that for me just a little bit? I want to make sure I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, certainly. Because, I mean, a- as you start running more and more miles, you'll start finding like, oh, okay, it's IT band today. And then, you know, you'll you'll find something and you'll work your IT band. But as soon as you've done that, now, like, you've messed with your gait maybe a little bit. Now it's your Achilles. And then, uh, you know, then you get runner's knee. And it's just like this cyclical process of, like, little injuries that you're tackling one by one. Um, and I'm wondering if there's like a more holistic approach maybe that you can take to try to mitigate having all of those injuries pop up little one by one. You know, that's such a great question because actually in the recent months, 
really been focusing on what it is we need to be doing so that we can get through these events unscathed. And as you're probably familiar and you've probably followed some of the stuff I've done, I spend a tremendous amount of time basically helping patch people up. You know, they, uh, every clinic that I go to, there's always two or three people that are severely jacked up, severely meaning that their, their, their ability to run during my clinic is questionable. I've seen back issues. I've seen Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, knee issues, IT band, hip. I mean, you, you see it all. And it just causes me to consider the importance of prep. What are we doing to make sure that their body's in a position to do things properly? Because doing things properly is the road to putting on the volume you're thinking of and staying out of trouble with injuries. I actually don't want to divulge too much because I've got something coming very, very soon that I'm very excited about. But I could just tell you that my road has been actually for the last few years really, really dedicated to prep. What do we do to make sure our body's in a good place? And it's the irony of it is this, okay? As you know, I have some very strong feelings about the way people should run. Right. Actually, I believe there is a way to run, and there are many, many, many ways not to run. And a lot of people have mastered all these other ways not to run. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, what ends up happening in that regard is that there comes this break point, and that's what you're kind of alluding to, is that you get to this place where the volume creeps up on your strength-to-weight ratio, and it overcomes you. Did I just say overcome? You did. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, but so the point being is that that seems to be the bellywick. People get to this place with it where uh, they almost intuitively are aware that when I get to 30 miles a week, I start to have issues with my IT band or my something flares up. And they're used to having that barrier. And then they have this, this approach to recovery, you know, using your term, where they, they intuitively are aware that, okay, that when this happens to me, I need to take a week off. And then I go to work on, you know, myofascial release using a foam roller and all these different modalities to try to mitigate the suffering that they're experiencing. Clearly, there was something going on with the way they were moving that caused the problem. So as you suggested, you know, you go working towards adjusting your gait and then you end up with another problem. And so it, it becomes kind of a moving target. What is it that we do that is going to help us stay away from being injured and progressively put on the work? So I'll give you my epiphany. Here I am writing a book again, and everybody keeps waiting and, and bitching at me because it's not done yet. But I keep running into these oh my God, I forgot about this. And think about this, right? And I'm saying, in my first book, I spoke about the energy systems and the importance of heart rate and how you parlay heart rate into the way you would approach an event. And I did touch on the importance of proper running mechanics and such. And I actually touched on nutrition. But at the end of the day, what I didn't do and I feel badly about is I didn't talk about, are you prepared to make the changes that it is that you need to make in order to adapt to the, the new approach to running. So what I'm suggesting is this. Let's just say that you have a deficit in ankle mobility. Or let's say you have a deficit 
in the mobility of your great toe, which is basically the linchpin of your running mechanics. Let's just suggest that you have uh, an impingement or restriction at the hip. Well, all these speed bumps, so to speak, in your mechanics may inhibit your capacity to produce the proper running mechanics that you know to be the way to do what you need to do. For those listening to this and they hear the little fairy tinkling in the background, I've got somebody coming in and out of my door and I have this ring on my phone and it's talking to me. I apologize. I don't want to have to keep interrupting the show to do this. But So anyway, you, you're feeling what I'm saying here? Is that, Let's just say that you came to see me, for example. And I started going on to this rant about the way it should look when you run. And you're, you're drinking the Kool-Aid and you're feeling that, yeah, 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 I get it, makes sense. And you go try to approach it. And you've got this little niggling inhibition that is somewhere along the kinetic chain from ground force to your hip. And that's not addressed. So you're carrying this inhibition or this restriction into your running mechanics and it inhibits your capacity to actually produce what it is I've taught you to do, what it is you're aspiring to get done, what you believe to be true. And now it becomes a real nightmare for you because it, it manifests into something and you alluded towards the fact that it could be all of a sudden now your Achilles is flaring up. So there could be some muscular imbalance. There could be some, as I suggested, range of motion inhibition that you're experiencing that's keeping you from get, getting to the place that we need you to get. So now that I've kind of thrown this all at you, what's your feeling? What, what is your take on this? Well, I mean, I, I certainly think uh, I see where you're going. It's more of a preventive maybe than a recovery issue, right? Are you willing to do what is what is necessary ultimately to prevent having any of those issues to begin with, let alone uh, just recovering from them? Yeah, and so just to be clear, it's always a work in progress. It's not like this checklist of things that you go through, get it all sorted out, and then you're golden and you can move on to doing whatever it is you want to do. Because running in itself is going to develop inhibitions. It's going to cause tightness. It's going to cause soreness. And the soreness may lead you to some compensations. So it's always something that you have to be working at. So, and uh, i got to let some of it out. I've been talking to uh, Dr. Emily Spleichel, who's a podiatrist, and some other folks about pre-activation, things you can do, exercises that you can take on that will help you to be in a better place when you go out and do the things that you're trying to do. And it should be part of your homework. So the, the typical person that's going to go out for a run, never mind obstacle course racing, just, just a typical runner, whether it be trail or road, they have the obligatory lean against the wall, kind of stretch their calf a little bit, maybe touch their toes, stretch their back a couple times, and off they go and they start running, if they do that. And that always sets them up for possibly not having their body prepared to take on the work that they're laying down. And when it gets to progression, when you start to go from 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 miles a week, then things start to get a little ugly. So I guess the, the, um, the global message that I'm, I'm trying to lay down here is that I think it's really important that people give a very hard look at what they're doing in a preemptive state to prepare the body for the work they do 
And then I think in a use the term recovery again, post-workout, what are you doing? So I'm really a big fan of flossing. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to, to, to take that on with any of the problems you've faced. Have you? I don't think I have. Uh, and I don't even know that I've, I've heard it in any other mode. Um, I, you know, I've seen you with your, your rock blade, but aside from that and that horrible looking contraption, uh, I can't think of what you're talking about. All right. Well, let, let me kind of break it down for you. So, uh, and incidentally, this is, this is a product that rock tape produces, but at the same time, it's been around for a long, long time. There's other <clears throat> companies that produce it. And essentially for those that are not familiar with flossing is, uh, it's a stretch of rubber band. I think it's probably close to six feet long, maybe something like that. And mm -hmm. the width of it varies, but there's like a two and a half inch width, and then there's like a four inch width. And the difference of width is what you would determine what you're going to use based on the, the area of the body you're going to work on. So for example, the broader band would go on larger areas like your quadricep, your back, things like this. And for like your Achilles, your elbow, your calves, you'd use the narrower bit of uh, rubber band. So in essence, what the project is this, you, you start to wrap the rubber band low. So let's say, for example, in your case, it may be an Achilles thing. You may start at the foot and then basically start wrapping the rubber band around your foot and creating a good bit of tension to the point where you would think, wait a minute, that might be too much. And then you work the rubber band up onto your calf muscle. And then, then you lock the, the balance of the strip down underneath the top roll, if that makes any sense. Around the last loop around your, your calf is where you might tuck it in so it stays. Uh -huh. and, and then you begin to produce range of motion exercises. And incidentally, I have videos like this. If anybody's not visited my YouTube page, which is DS Human Performance, uh, you'll see that I've got a series of videos on this type of thing for various elements. And, and I think I also post them on my Facebook pages or whatever. Uh, and if anybody has a question about it, they can always reach out to me. But here's what I've learned. And you know me, man. You know what I do. I, I travel all over the United States working with athletes. Uh -huh. And primarily, they're obstacle course racing athletes that are troubled with their run. They come to see me because they're having a hard time getting their run on. And I mentioned earlier that a lot of them come to me with injuries. And it's like a laying out of hands because some of these modalities that I'm speaking of, I put them through a process and it's like they're blown away with the instantaneous responses they're getting from the treatment. To be clear, I am sponsored by Rock Tape, but... The truth of the matter is, I've done business with Rock Tape for over a decade, long before we had any type of relationship where there was some give and take in this, because I absolutely believe in their product line. But where I'm going with this is that when you wrap this rubber band around your leg and you carry yourself through a range of motion and you do it for about two minutes, you're basically flushing all the blood out of that area. It's almost like pre-surgery. You're getting all the blood out of the area. And then after you finish going through the range of motion, you're going to do this for about two minutes. Then you start unwinding the rubber band from your leg and then carry your leg back through that range of motion or your ankle back through that range of motion that you did with the rubber band. And you're going to find a tremendous relief. This blood's going to come rushing back in, which is going to encourage healing. And incidentally, 
where injuries are concerned in the connective tissue, ligaments, tendons like this, the problem with these and the reason they take so long to heal from is because the blood supply is not near what it is in muscle or bone. And so it takes longer for the healing process to take place. And what encourages healing is blood flow. So you're drawing blood into these regions and it makes a big, big difference. And I'm telling you, I have people like, they look at me with this, this you know, eyes wide open. They're like, wow, I can't believe how much better this feels right now. And I'm talking about as soon as I've pulled it off. So, and I don't want to go to a big rant about the flossing technique, but you said you hadn't heard of it, so I wanted to try to try to shed some light on it. But at the end of the day, there are lots of little tools out there that you can employ. You, you alluded to the blade. Um, the new thing around the block now is the rock pods, which is, uh, you see this in massage where they're doing the hot cupping. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got cups that we're using dynamically that have really shown to be very, very effective in dealing with calf strains. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, there are people that are hearing this and they're going to comment on it because they were somebody that I put it on them and they couldn't believe how much better they felt within like five minutes of the treatment. It's crazy. So, you know, I'm kind of ranting and I'm, I think I'm getting a little too far off point here, but the thing I'm trying to get across is when you speak to me of recovery, I think that the important thing is, what are we doing to stay out of trouble to begin with? And the better you can stay out of trouble to begin with, the less recovery you're going to require. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, you know, they say best defense is a good offense, right? Absolutely Essentially, right. Same principle. Sure. So I think on that same same thought, right, of, of maybe good offense, uh, you know, as it pertains to getting into longer distances, I think the question I would ask then would be, what's a reasonable increase in distance? So, for example, um, you say most you've ever done, you know, I'll speak in kind of uh, OCR terms, say the most you've ever done is a beast, which is give or take 13 to 14 miles. Um, and then you're thinking like, I want to do world's toughest mutter or something to that extent, which is significantly different. Um, what, you know, say for example, your goal is, is 50 miles. You've, you've maxed out at 13 miles. Um, you know, what's, what's a reasonable amount of time to try to bridge that gap? Or is there, is there a reasonable amount of miles increase per week that you could say? So like every week, you know, you can bump your long run up two miles or four miles or something to that extent. Right. Well, a couple of things. Uh, and, and the reason I asked you, had you run a marathon? <clears throat> is because I think there's a, a, a pretty big distinction between running an OCR event and running a, like a road race or even mm -hmm. a trail race for that matter because a running event is where people try to run the entire distance and try to get to the finish line as soon as possible. Where in OCR, there's a whole lot of walking going on. Right. And, and I think that there's a lot of people in the sport that didn't come from a running background where they had the pedigree of pressing themselves for say three, four, and even five hours of running without, I mean, with, I mean, with the intent of not walking at all. And so I think there's a big difference between that and this. So when you talk to me about turning towards ultra, and the plan being to run an ultra distance event, 
that was the reason why I asked you had you run a marathon because being on your feet for upwards of, in your case, close to four hours, where you're pressing the pace and doing the best you can to complete the distance takes a lot more out of you, I believe, than walking to an obstacle and changing gears and going to upper body. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, certainly. I, I know that, like, you know, as I've as I ran the marathon and I've done other non-sanctioned distances of that extent where it's just been pure trail running. We've done 25, 27 miles or something to that extent, just out with, you know, some friends. Um, and yeah, it's certainly different. And I think, you know, when you're in OCR, you kind of look forward to those breaks. You're like, Oh, thank God there's an obstacle coming up. Like this gives me a minute and a half to like bring my heart rate down and, and take some of the blood from my legs and throw them, you know, in the upper extremities as I'm trying to get through this obstacle or whatever that may be. And then, you know, you walk it out for a few minutes or a minute after the obstacle, and then you take off, you know, kind of jogging down the path again. So it's, it's certainly a different, and like you said, you know, you're switching gears. Well, and, and it's a difference in the performance ask. And, and I think that that's um, the difference is that people in, in OCR, uh, and I'm not talking about everybody, but I'm just talking about like the masses that are enjoying the sport. I think part of the reason why there's such a, uh, a lust for the sport is because it's it's so non-judgmental. In a marathon, if you walk, like you feel like shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah, like you, you failed, right? And everybody around you is watching you walk, and they're looking at you like, yeah, that poor son of a bitch is he's walking, right? But in OCR, it's not like that. And incidentally, I'm I'm doing a program right now on the off season, where I've taken I think I've got about 65 athletes that are doing my off season what I call crush the run program. And the project is designed to give these folks an opportunity to learn what it's like to dedicate a good length of time to improving their run skill for a given task. So it's like a 16-week project. We're, I think we're like in week three right now. We just got it started, end of October. Mm-hmm. But the, the idea is to restrain people with the notion of taking everything off the table other than improving the way they run and learning how to develop the energy systems that are necessary to develop good capacity to run well for upwards of 13 miles. Now, I pick 13 miles simply because that's that's a, you know right around the range of a beast distance. Right, And I think that that was pretty much all-encompassing. If you do a super or you do a even a 5K event, the training is going to prepare you so that you're going to be a better athlete in all those regards. But the, the, the thing I'm getting at is that I want to try to help people and give them the experience that they're not accustomed to, which is to actually focus exclusively on what you're talking about, being able to build the mileage, develop the tenacity and capacity develop the aerobic engine, develop the anaerobic engine, develop the skill sets in a very methodical fashion without having all these races getting in the middle of it, which are interrupting your ability to train effectively. Right. So, so getting back to your question, uh, how much should you do? How much should you add? I like to see about a 10% increase in volume every other week. And if everything is done well, and you've arranged the work throughout the course of the week effectively, that shouldn't be too much of an ask. And when I speak of increasing the volume, 
I'm really talking about time, not miles. So, for example, when I write program, I always speak of hours. I want you to do X for two hours. I want you to do X for an hour and a half. And at the end of the week, the collection of uh, workouts are going to be very systematic in, in the approach. So there's going to be uh, an appreciable amount of aerobic conditioning that I looked for. There's going to be the skill sets that I looked for. And there's going to be the over-threshold type training that I'm looking for. It's all in play all the time. It's just I'm manipulating the volume of each component, but constantly increasing the volume. So, for example, you know, kind of to your point again, I broke the group up into into two two teams, A team, B team. And basically that's based on experience and ability. So the B team started with about three hours worth of running per week. By the time they get to the conclusion of this, which incidentally ends up with a half marathon distance trial, there'll be up to about five hours a week. And the A team started at about five hours a week. They'll end up at about eight and a half to nine hours of running a week. And that's going to be constructed over 16 weeks total time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to try in my head, like reverse engineer that to, to, to miles just because, you know, I know I, I, I think maybe as I'm not a coach, uh, you know, I don't think necessarily an hour. So I'm trying to think like, all right, cool. So how, how would that work for me in miles? But, well, that's a mistake. Uh, okay. Don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't reverse engineer. I, I would, if I recommend anything to you, given what you're telling me, I would start looking at time on your feet because okay. you realize that, and I've, I've said this before many, 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 many times It's my book, I think is that mileage is the reward for the appropriate amount of training that you put in weekly. Mm-hmm. So you may find that your average, let's just say, for example, your aerobic pace is, uh, let's just say hypothetically, a nine-minute mile pace. With training, you're going to see a progression in your ability to cover distance. And you'll see that the volume picks up simply because you're able to do more work. And so if you dedicated four hours worth of training and the yield is, what is that, uh, 36 miles, you may find that in three or four weeks, the yield over the same time commitment will end up being 40 miles Uh because you're moving quicker relative to the cost of work. And that's what it gets down to. You want to control the cost of work. You want to control the efficiency and you want to control the time that you expose yourself to whatever it is you're doing. So I think that actually does lead me to maybe another question, which is as, as you're increasing, right? So you can do things like fart licks and you can do uh, various other speed work. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, one day hard, two days easy, you know, various different tactics. Um, but one thing I'm finding is just that as I'm increasing my, my mileage, like, kind of ticking down and ticking down just a little bit, you know, fractions of a minute here and there, uh, on my pace. So, uh, you know, I came into running, I came into this, you know, an easy 10 mile pace for me would have been in the seven thirty range. And now it's like creeping up to like seven fifty. And so, uh, but that's as I'm increasing my mileage, you know, whereas on Saturday I have a 20 mile run or something to that effect, you know, and, and throughout the week, you know, it's harder for me to, to keep those paces down. So are you suggesting to me that you're slowing down as you start? To... 
increased mileage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, that was probably not as clear as it should have been. So, are you are you intuitively trying to slow down to ensure that you're capable of covering the distance? Is that what you're telling me? I, I don't know that I'm doing that intentionally, um, or if it's just Subconscious. you know a thing. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I say, for example, um, I live here in, in Southern California and I, I run this like one path in Coronado regularly and, uh, all summer long I had, you know, before I started kind of gearing up for, for much longer distances, um, I had a six mile route and I would, I knew exactly like I could tell you within maybe 40 seconds of how long that six mile route would take me. Cause I ran it so regularly, but now that I've increased, um, that, that duration and that running every single week, I've noticed that that, that same route now will take me a minute and a half longer. And that's, you know, that's substantially different than it was maybe over the summer, I think, you know, for six miles. You know what? I have to send you a copy. You, you don't have a copy of my book, do you? I don't think I do. Dude. <laughs> I'm failing you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to send you a copy of my first book because it talks about, it's actually got templates in the back of it up to a marathon given whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced. And I don't talk about this book often in respect to OCR because I don't know that it's appropriate for OCR. That's why I'm writing another book. But for running a marathon or running a half marathon or even an ultra-distance race, the the concepts that I, I lend you into really make a huge difference in your performance. And what I like to see people do is commonly put in a lot of time trials to check their work. You want to you want to make sure that the things you're doing are taking you to the promised land. When you tell me that when you start to add volume, your finish time for uh, an event you know is slower, that tells me that something's amiss. That tells me that something needs to change. And that's why I pepper my programs with time trials. Because you ask yourself that, you know, I call it the come to Jesus meeting where you, you go, oh, wow, things are better. Whatever I'm doing right now is working really well. Or to the, to the opposite end of things, you might say, oh, wow, things are not going as I hoped. You know, what is it that I'm not doing or what is it that I should be doing that's going to help me to improve? So I'm always asking those questions of my body. Or I shouldn't say my body, my clients, because I see the data. And, you know, I'm really a fan of data collection because it starts to tell you whether things are going well or not. And what did it, you know, when you really, oh, wow, man, we can go for days on this. So, so let me just kind of narrow this down. And you, by the way, you need to come to the super clinic in January. Okay. You need when, to do it. It's three days, dude. When is that in January? January 11th through the 13th. It's three my, days. My race is on the 12th. Oh, shite. <laughs> yeah, well. It's all good. I have many more long races next year, so we can, I'm sure we can work something out. I just, you know, the, the thing about it is this, is that because I do it, you know, I know you attended part of a clinic with us a while back. I think you just did like the run part, right? Uh, I feel like that's true. Yeah, it was just a day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you didn't do the testing or ago. any of that, right? No. All right, so... All right, so I, I didn't want to make this sound like an infomercial, but it's starting to, right? So the way this works is that people come to us, and the first thing we do is we identify how much energy their body requires. For you to support life, for you to sit there talking to me right now, what does it take 
energetically for you to support your system in a 24-hour basis. Mm -hmm. So that's called your resting metabolism. And then once we know what that is, we can also look at how effective your body is in taking on and using the calories that you are consuming. And we can look at whether there's some adjustments we should make. And then we look at your active metabolism. What does it cost you to do the things you're doing? And then now that we know that, and we know where your metabolic turn points are, we could start prescribing work that's going to be very, very in keeping with the way your body responds. And then we work on the mechanics. And so the one-two punch is when you understand how to develop your energy systems along with your mechanical capacities, that's like the one-two punch. Your efficiency in the way you move and developing economy in however far you're going to carry yourself. So that's really, really big. And then we, we take people out and we start challenging them. We're going to, I don't believe you, well, you were there when we got up on the trails a little bit, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the right. gulch. Yeah. Well, did we bring things to play with? Yeah. I don't think you were doing that then. Yeah. Well, we're doing it now. Yeah. I saw, I see your videos. And then we're going to go, uh, the the last day we go into Sycamore Canyon for uh, a mountain run mm -hmm. on trail. And actually I'm going to have VJ Jones is going to lead it out this year. Nice. And so he's going to take people through the mountains, uh, probably about a 10K. And then we're going to come down and get on to the sand dunes. And we're going to do some heavy carries and repeats in the sand dunes. Once that's done, we're going to take people down on the beach. And we're going to do what I call the sugar cookie workout. Mm, I'm familiar. Yeah. In the water, out of the water, calisthenics, back and forth, back and forth, until you've had so much of it that you hate me. And then you want to go home. So... The reason I stopped and went on to this whole tirade about this clinic is because the things that you're talking to me about are so typical. And it's the reason I wrote my first book was because people are downloading these, these templates online that, you know, do your first marathon, run your first ultra, whatever. And there's a template that's basically saying, okay, here's what the mileage build looks like. Hard day, easy day, medium day. That has nothing to do with you. That has absolutely nothing to do with you. you. When you identify the cost of work when you run, and then you understand the pathways that you need to manipulate so that you can get into a better place, now you got power. Now you got power. So even in my own program, like for example, I wrote 16 weeks for the training for these folks, but it's going to get manipulated based on what I'm seeing with an individual. I may have to adjust a few things for them because their bodies aren't adapting at the time frame that I hoped for. And I want to make sure that they're getting the most out of the training. And that's why that data collection is so important is I can see the result of their efforts and I can see whether it's lending on a, on a positive trend or not. Anyway, I, I'm sorry I preached hard on that, but when, it, when you talk to me about fartlek and you talk to me about hard day, easy day, I, I just, I, my, everything in me starts to hurt. Oh, right, right. I'm just, you know, I'm going, these are very general terms that I'm, I'm basing things off of, you know, yeah. as you, as you read through on whatever it is, a runner's world article or, yeah, 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 or something to that extent. So, um, yeah. And I think, uh, I don't, I don't know how much longer you want to run for. I mean, I have a whole list of stuff here, but, uh, let's, let's, let's cut into a couple of other things and, and we'll put a fork in it. Easy day. All right. So I think one interesting thing is the shoe decision, right? So, um, you know, is it, is it, especially as it pertains to, to ultra running, you know, so is it, 
do you want to get something that's like a nine mil or 10 mil drop, you know, like maybe like your, what are they ultras or, um, uh, I cannot recall the other, uh, pretty prevalent, uh, trail shoe. That's got Hoka. like a Hoka. That's the one I was looking for. Right. Um, you know, or, you know, I've, I've historically been running innovates, which I think probably have something in the, in the range of like a three, two mil drop. They're pretty, pretty low pro, but that's because, you know, as you're running like Spartans, you don't want the, all that soul there. You just want it to drain out real quick so you can keep, keep moving. But as, as you switch purely to trails, or even if you're doing like a road marathon or something to that extent, what, what's your thoughts on the, on the drop? I think that you, first of all, should find a shoe that works for you and then don't change it. Now, that's a hard thing to do because the industry is always changing their style. Mm-hmm. But when you talk to me about the, the two things that are paramount, or actually three things that are paramount in selecting a shoe, the stack height, how far the foot is going to be off the ground relative to the thickness of the sole. So this doesn't take into account any inclination from heel to toe. That's just stack height, how high off the ground you are. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's a lot of shoes out there that have these really high stack heights and this really cushy bottom, but they're they're selling it as a zero drop, which it is. So zero drop suggests that the forefoot is at the same height off the ground as the heel. And so when you talk to me about three mil, four mil, whatever it might be, you're really talking about the elevation of the heel. Right. And so elevating the heel is not a good plan ever, except in cases where people have really, really, really tight calves and Achilles. I'm, I'm talking about just real problematic, almost genetically tight calves and, and Achilles. Then they might want to have a little bit of a lift. But in most circumstances, being closer to the ground is always a better idea because your contact point with the earth should be as close to natural as possible. And the further off the ground, referring to the stack height, when you get a really big stack height, you're eliminating the potential to gather information from ground force. Your feet are designed to take on this reaction from the ground and feed the brain with information so that it's more intelligent with your ground contact. Everything that happens when you make contact with the ground is going to be reviewed by the central nervous systems as vibration how much vibration occurred from the impact force and how does the body adapt to the contractile responses that are necessary to meet the demands of those vibrations. So when you get into a really high stack height, what you're really doing is causing your feet to get stupid. And then it may feel cushy and wonderful on the foot, but your body is not preparing itself adequately or timely for the impact forces that you're taking on. So you, And I've seen this happen a lot with people that I've talked to that were wearing these really cushy shoes, is that their feet felt great, but they still had a hip problem, or they still had IT band issues, because their body is not responsive to the ground force as it should be. So I think that, you know, to circle back to what you said, I think the shoe you're wearing right now is probably better suited for what you're trying to get done than trying to change into some cushy or elevated heel. That's a pro- You see it very, very rampantly with ultra-distance running because people think I'm going to run a lot. I need to cushion my feet. Yeah, that's exactly why I asked this question. Well, and I get it, and I understand. But you, you look at some of the best runners in the world, and 
they don't need to do this. You look at guys like Scott Jurek. He doesn't wear a cushy shoe. You look at Killian Journey, who runs up and down mountains. He's a sky race champion. He doesn't wear cushy shoes. So why is it different for him? Could it be that he's just nailed the way he's supposed to run? To think that the shoe is going to make better decisions than your feet will is, is really kind of a moronic conclusion, quite frankly, if you think about it. Your feet are, are developed naturally with the suspension systems you need to take on whatever impact forces you face. And so let me give it to you in a real simple term. If you were to jump off of a ledge, let's say a four-foot ledge, uh, onto concrete, first of all, what's going to happen is you're going to land onto your forefoot intuitively. I won't have to tell you to do that. You'll do that. You're not going to land on your heel. You're going to know intuitively that if you land on your heel, it's not going to go well. And then your feet from the ground contact through the plantar fascia up into your Achilles, your calves, right up into your, your muscular structures are designed to mitigate the impact from that landing. Incidentally, what happens is your body becomes supple under the impact force. Now, if you were to land into soft sand, what would happen is your body becomes rigid because it identifies that softness is a problem so it, it responds by trying to become rigid to protect. So thinking about the, the surfaces that you're running on, you want to have as, as clean a stream of information to your central nervous system as possible so your body knows how to react in a timely fashion. And the best way to do that is to be as close to the ground as possible. Excellent. Now, mind you, the caveat here is that there are people that come away from really cushy <clears throat> shoes and they never allow their feet to touch the earth. And their feet are weak. And asking them to get into a zero-drop, minimal shoe initially may be too much for them. So going back into this pre-activation conversation we had earlier, one of the things that you need to do is develop your strength in your feet. I was running on my treadmill this morning barefoot. I run on my treadmill always barefoot. If I go outside and run on concrete or pavement, I'll put on shoes. I'm going to be 66 years old, by the way, in a few weeks. And you know me. I'm a big guy. I'm about 250 pounds. I don't have issues with my knee, my ankle, my hip, or my back when I run. And mind you, I don't run nearly as much as I had in the past. But I don't have orthopedic issues for me running around in a zero-drop minimal shoe. It's because I've been working on training and preparing my feet for the work. Excellent. Yeah, I think... Uh, if you've, if anybody listening has read the book born to run, uh, I know that's not what they meant to talk about, but I feel like the author like beat up, don't wear, you know, high stack shoes, like through the whole book. Like, I feel like that was like a central theme, even though I don't think it was meant to be. Well, I think it was meant to be. Oh, I think that, I think he was at ends with the uh, shoe industry. And I think that, you know, and I, by the way, I don't love the guy. <clears throat> But I really believe that he was a pioneer in the, the re-education of running in our, our life and time uh, because we got really off path. We really started screwing it up. And the industry is at great length responsible for that, I believe. Yeah, the, the shoe industry yeah, trying to... absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of engineering that goes into something that we've been doing basically since there's been people... Uh, which which feels confusing to me, but um, you know, again, I'm no scientist nor coach. I'm just a 
uh, hobbyist runner. I'll tell you what I want you to do. And, and I've done this a couple times recently. Uh, I met a guy, it's probably been a decade ago, named Erwin LaCour. He has a program and a project he does called MoveNat, M-O-V-N-A-T. When you get a chance, I want you to Google MoveNat, M-O-V-N-A-T. Okay. And there will be videos that, that kind of show what it is he's about. And I want you to watch this guy run and watch this guy train. It's going to blow your mind. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to answer the question that you just had in respect to what should the body be capable of? Do you need to protect your feet when you're getting on harder surfaces? Do you need to cause cushion to be underneath your feet to protect your body? It's a ridiculous proposition. It was sold to us by the running shoe industry. They're trying to sell shoes, and that's essentially what they're doing. On that note, unless there's anything we can do quick, that's a good place to drop it off. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, I had a whole list of questions here, and I think, you know, kind of through either your answering or me kind of following up, uh, we nailed everything I had, I had come into this with. So I definitely appreciate the time, and as always, you know, I enjoy talking to you. So, so the podcast is... Yep, overcomingrun.com and uh, Instagram, Facebook, you know, you can find us everywhere. So we're- well, i got to tell you, you and your wife has done a hell of a job. I mean, when I when I first met you, you were just kind of getting into it and, you know, the brave new world. And, and uh, now I see you everywhere. You guys are nailing it. So you're becoming, you know, the, the journalists of obstacle course racing. And I think that's, that's, that's very, very important. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, Heather has done a great job, too, recently just trying to expand. So I'm sure you're familiar probably with um, the world's toughest podcast and and what uh, Will Hicks is doing, too. And and actually, they all kind of recently just formed up um, them and then an East Coast podcast as well uh, to form to form the OCR report, which is like a whole media conglomerate now within the, the spectrum of OCR. So. Uh, it's it's getting big out there in the in the OCR world. So you know, to be honest with you, this not to slight the industry, I just don't have time to look at these podcasts. I kind of wish I did because I'm I'm curious, you know, to hear what other people are talking about. But I kind of, you know, I'm a rebel. I'm just kind of doing what I do, and I'm just really pleased to have an opportunity to talk about the things we're doing and the advantages we're providing. Incidentally, Chris Mendoza, who just won World's Toughest, is actually one of my clients. And Chris came to me a couple years back. We worked on his gate. He's come to see me for tune-ups. He's come to see me in training. And I'm not taking credit for his, his hard work, but I, I'm just saying that here's a guy that just won World's Toughest Mudder, put in 100 miles, and he's a student of proper running mechanics. And I, I didn't look at what he was wearing on his feet, but I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and, and suggest that it probably was not a cushy shoe. No, I don't think it was. And, and I mean, I didn't even pay that close of attention, uh, but I spent a lot of time without, with him out there on the course uh, this year. And man, um, just, just an amazing, amazing runner, amazing athlete. And if you want to follow somebody on Instagram, definitely follow Chris. Like he has, the dude has the most fun in the world running and it will inspire you to go out and run. I think that's, that's the most important thing, right? If, if you take anything away from, from all this, right, you're, you're supposed to enjoy this. This should be fun. If it's not, don't do it. Um, and, uh, you know, Chris makes it fun and he makes you want to make it fun. So you got to love it to do it that often. That's all I can tell you. (laughs) You really got to love it. Certainly. All right. Well, look, uh, final note, the natural running coach.net natural running coach.net is where you find information about the clinics. 
We are just getting ready to formulate our tour for 2019. Looking like we're going to be in Chicago, revisiting New Jersey. Where else? I'm not even terribly sure yet. I'm heading for Austin, Texas in December to do this will be our third visit there and uh, that's it for the year and then after that the super clinic in January it is the clinic to do if anybody is listening to this there's still time to register for that and I promise you you will not come away from that the way you came into it it's going to change your life if you're an athlete but look Jay thank you so much for coming on with me Uh, I wish you and your wife the best of luck with what you're doing and I'm going to send you a copy of my book. I'm going to invite you both to participate in one of my clinics. You just have to tell me when. Easy day. I really, really appreciate your time and having me on. All right, buddy. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.